It is World in Union, Balls.ie's weekly rugby show with me, Mick McCarthy, alongside Morris Brosnan. Morris, I'm back. It's been I've, I've basically been on the show once in the past month or so for various different reasons. Not just because the Six Nations ended and I decided I can take a few weeks off here. What does it matter? We've a long rugby season to go and now I'm back before the Champions Cup semi-finals. Nothing to do with that. I've had There's been genuine conflicts in my calendar. And you're, days off and whatnot. Yeah, you're the the Johnny Sexton to PJ's Noel Reed's <laughs> yeah. goes missing after this. Yeah, six yeah. Nations maybe, maybe PJ should be kind of more Ross Burned than Noel Reed <laughs> then if, if I'm going to be Johnny. But uh, I'll take that. But I am back because it is a big weekend. We've got we have got the Champions Cup semi-finals to come um, over the next weekend. We have uh, Munster in Coventry uh, against Saracens. We've got Leinster in the Aviva Stadium, as usual, against Toulouse. Um, an unbelievable weekend. You're going to be at both games covering them for us, so we'll talk a little bit more about them in a few minutes, and we'll talk about lots more on the show as well, including an interview that you've done with uh, former Leinster second row Nathan Hines, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, Nathan Hines, who kind of a really fascinating guy in that he's obviously playing with, played with both Leinster and Claremont, so played with and for Leinster with and, with and against Leinster in European Cup semi-finals. Yeah. He's also now coaching in France with Montpellier, with Vern Cotter. Um, so he's got a really unique insight into offer about what Toulouse are doing and into coaching itself, really. Um, so yeah, he's a really interesting guy. Yeah, and just a kind of a, one of those Leinster legends that you think back about the, the Leinster-Northampton game. Probably, I would say, my favourite game of rugby that I can remember in a non-international or non-monster sense, I have to be honest and give away my own uh, biases, my own particular yeah. biases there. But just that, that comeback, the entire story of it. And Hines was a huge part of it. I think he scored the first try, was it? Yeah. Or the, the, yeah. The, um, if, and if you watch that try back, he's. I watched this game during the week, and he's involved he in every single rook until he picks and goes for the try. He, yeah. he hits every single rook in that play. So yeah. he, like, it, it was really kind of clear that not only were they kind of trying to charge something he personally was trying to charge something trying to lead the line when you think of Leinster imports you think of obviously the one great season where everybody fell in love with Rocky Elson you think of the legendary career of Issa Nasewa you think of you know other kind of like players who had a certain amount of impact but you know even you know um, you know we had I think a few months of Brad Thorne where he won after when he was um, when he won a Heineken Cup but actually it might not be as heralded, but not as me- not that many have had as big an impact as Hines did over the course of a good couple of seasons where he was like a really, really important cog in what Leinster were at their most successful time. Yeah, big time. I mean, Devin Toner spoke about this in 2013, about the, the player who most reminded him of Leo Cullen was Nathan Hines, both yeah. in terms of the impact he had around training and his insight into... like so Supposedly, as a tra- he was a training gang guru at Leinster, Joe Smith absolutely loved him, like his attention to detail in the line-out. Even, you know, he had amazing hands, his ability to pass the ball. So he was also... I, I think there was no one better at the dark arts than Nathan <laughs> Hines. Nathan Hines literally invented... That's a, that's a compliment. Oh, big time, yeah. Like, Nathan Hines literally invented the art of pinning a man at the bottom of a rock and winning a penalty. It was, yeah. he, he uses massive frame to... There's a great clip of Nathan Hines playing against Ulster, pinning three different players to the floor at one time, like, <laughs> like, as, as they're attacking a line for, when he's playing with Claremont. Yeah, like he, with he, a who-me ref look he, on his he, face. He, like, was, yeah. he was a genius yeah. at, um, at that kind of facet of the game. And just, like, all around... And, it was just interesting when we'll hear it from later but he's still in contact with a lot of those coaches like he still is in regular contact with Leo Cullen John O'Gibbs who's obviously now in France as well yeah. he's, he's touching base with those guys as well like sometimes coaching 
there's a perception of it being kind of a lonely pursuit yeah. after you leave a team of and stuff, but it's not really the case. I mean, no, if the coaching tree can make, keep its roots strong, then it can kind of spread, you know, spread, spread its branches. And I've run out of, uh, I've run out of examples <laughs> in that particular metaphor, unfortunately. We will hear from um, Nathan Hines later on. Really looking forward to hearing that myself. Um, lots more to come as well. There's lot, there's lots to talk about as we as we kind of get into this weekend, and lots of news to kind of touch on as well. But I think it would be remiss of us um, not to talk about the fact that Connacht's massive win at the weekend puts them into the to the playoffs I, I think for the first time since they won the competition in 2016 and more importantly into the into the champions cup for next season back in there again like the turnaround we've talked about it a good bit on the show over the course of mm-hmm. the entire winter really is just how they especially since the since the turn of the year have really really turned things around the f- transformation in a club over the course of 12 months is just phenomenal and it's brilliant to see them get that reward yeah it is i mean it's I think this is this sounds weird, but this is the most I've enjoyed watching rugby this year. To be honest, even like just the way the Six Nations has gone, the weekend was just so so enjoyable. So many. Yeah. The big thing about you mentioned Connacht. I mean, Friday night I watched the Munster game as well. I watched um, Bristol play Saracens just ahead of the weekend as well. And the quality of rugby at the minute is absolutely incredible. And I think Connacht really epitomised that at the weekend. Like it's just it's really high octane stuff. It's a, you know. It's a mixed approach. It's not just, you know, they're not just reliant on their seppies or reliant on kind of skills. They've mm. got they've got a really nice mixture of it too. And they also have a huge license to, to play. So you see a moment where, like, can you imagine this kind of team with the confidence they had last year trying the Bundyaki offload back on the inside? And yeah. Key, you know, Jack Carthy trying to do the, the old five-a-side trick of, you know, kicking it around a guy and running around the other side to yeah. get it back again. Like, that stuff wouldn't have happened a year ago. There, there's, there's a, it just goes to show, like, no, we've got an interview up on site with Robin Colton at the start of the year who talk about like trust. He said at the time, "Trust me, you know this atmosphere is a lot better, and that's going to lead to more positive things." positively on the pitch and you're seeing that now that's yeah because Connacht are that kind of team they are the sort of like if they're trying things and they're having that bit of confidence to try you'll see the tries they got exactly, on, at the yeah. weekend they are that kind of team that will try something audacious and it might pay off for them or they have to have the ability to make a mistake and that's kind of how they were at their best you know under Pat Lamb as well like you know that, that they need to have that sort of you don't you can't play that kind of rugby unless you're kind of feeling good about things and trust the management structure and trust the coaches aren't going to chew you out for making a mistake and you know there's lots of different you know psychological windows that you have to kind of uh you know make sure are open before you can uh before you can play that kind of rugby and even like you know regardless of whatever conspiracy theories Cardiff fans might be sprouting on twitter at the minute or you know marginal reference yeah well we might talk a little bit about that for a second but the the fact is, Connacht played more high-risk rugby, and when you take those risks, the reward is always going to be greater. And that it was epitomised by what they did at the weekend. They tried things that they wouldn't have necessarily tried before. It's all built on, you know, the old foundations of a really, really solid set piece. Um, I think, in terms of as a production line, Connacht are looking a lot better. They're not necessarily relying on, you know, what would you determine maybe second-rate imports from other provinces they're actually yeah. really starting to develop players like young Boyle there I think he's had an unbelievable season Jack Harty is obviously a product there these kind of guys who you know they can produce their own they can control take control of that you know, their Connacht Eagles had a remarkable tour in the USA this summer a couple of really exciting prospects coming through there we've spoken a lot about Dylan Tierney Martin he's going yeah. to break into the senior setup soon too so it's, it, like the it's a really rosy picture they have right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned Cardiff there. Here's a tweet from uh, at M underscore Brosnan uh, three days ago. What's the deal with Cardiff? Head coach after Ulster. We weren't happy with how the game was officiated and I'm, officiated and I'm starting to get a... a, a to, uh, 
I'm starting to get to a stage where I'm sick of it. After Munster, Anscombe was pulled back. These things need to be picked up. Crying again now after Connacht. <laughs> and <laughs> me and you had a conversation last week about Cardiff fans possibly epitomizing all Welsh rugby fans. It might I might have been a little bit over the top um, in my criticism at the time even about crying Welsh rugby fans. Nothing is ever their fault. It's always the referee. It's always the system. It's always Ireland. It's always everything against them. However, I have to say I've got some sympathy with them this week. So even though it is three weeks in a row and that they've been kind of complaining about all their games against Ireland, you know, the TMO made a weird decision for that try at the weekend. If people didn't see it, it was it was a touchdown in the corner as his arm basically touched the post, which wouldn't rule it out as a try. Nothing is in touch. It's a very very clear TMO decision. Like I mean, there's a there's a there's a picture there. There's nothing in touch. The ball is on the ground and being touched down. So it doesn't make any real sense how the try was ruled out. You know, maybe it wouldn't have decided the game. Maybe kind of could have won anyway. But it just you can understand the grievance, especially when they have perceived grievances from the weeks before, even if they're not strictly correct yeah I mean that tweet was pretty tongue-in-cheek kind of pointing out that no matter what happens it always seems to be somebody else's true and it's literally a conversation we had in the office yeah but on on that it's I think the worst thing that happened there is that the TMO didn't intervene right so as a process the like the TMO is not just there to run replays like he can actually you know he can have a say like I don't know why they've done this thing recently where they tried to wrestle control away from a TMO and have a referee running over to a screen to watch it back because in a certain circumstance like that he sees what we all see yeah. the referee in the sports ground in the with the crowd that the way they were and in the weather the way it was that's a it's a lot it's a different circumstance to somebody up in a box no no, might, no yeah, and especially yeah. if it's leading towards the wrong decision you know yeah. what I mean so just to, to clarify this I think that had he not had downward pressure on the ball when he hit the corner flag when he was out of touch it wouldn't have been a try but the fact that he got the ball down first I think it means it's a try I know it's it's, it's really but the corner flag isn't touch in a try scoring anymore it used to be years ago but it's not anymore yeah so yeah, the, that's, that's right isn't it and his what he did in so what happened retrospectively was that he decided to because it happened simultaneously this is what he said that he hit the corner flag and touched down the ball at the same time that that means this is an attacking scrum that's how we interpret what happened there that it happened simultaneously what, what the touching both instances now I can understand why Cardiff fans are aggrieved by that try but let's say the try was given they still would have, wouldn't have won the game it's still a draw yeah. like, do you know what I mean like the I, I just I felt like there was a like even Mulville who <laughs> you just read out my his quotes from the last two games as well even their head coach said after the game that Connacht were the better team and deserved to win that, uh, the, I he actually wasn't that, moaning this week like, like the, I just felt that initially now those sorry he said that in the print interview not in the TV interview I think he might be you have a bit of time to calm down and there's, you know, there's a gap in between the yeah. two and you get a chance to maybe gather your thoughts and those two other quotes were from TV interviews when it's really really raw straight away after yeah. the game and you probably but, can't read too much into it anyway but I've seen like you know journalists you know that i would respect and like actually like uh, you know on, on twitter rugby journalists like talking about this in a kind of a i'm the sane person like you know not all the kind of fans who are obviously one-eyed i'm the kind of you know the two-eyed journalist and i'm looking at this but you know that was obviously a joke and then a question about like oh the conspiracy theory reply follows with them kind of coming back with a no comment or all i'll say is that wasn't the try you know and it's like I don't. I'm not even giving out about them. I understand. I and I'm glad that they're passionate about the game and stuff. But I just feel that I don't know if Welsh rugby, Welsh club rugby in particular, is well served by having this chip on their shoulder. 
oh, that um, everybody's against them. And I, and I think, and, and, and if the system is always out to get you, then why take part in the system? Therefore, we don't make the Pro 14 work. We don't make our regional system work. And everything gets worse. Yeah, and even, when it's the only option they have. And like, even, I was thinking about this ahead of this show that we do this week. We never on the show ever talk about referees. And the reason we don't is because there's a million other factors that are way more important. There's a hierarchy. And if you keep prioritizing the referee over everything else that's going wrong, you're doomed. You're absolutely doomed because yeah. there's way more important stuff going on in terms of breakdown and really basic set pieces or things like that that you that you can that are within your control, way more in control than a referee is, and that you can address. And the fact that you keep prioritizing a, a referee, I think that that's the major flaw. Like, if there was one referee performance that we should have talked about from last weekend, I think it was in the monster game. I think the monster visa game went on, went on there. The stoppages were way way too long, and it was a really it was a farcical call not to send off a player for a head high hit. The, the, yeah, the, that's because that what happened there was that it kind of that those you know six minute. Right, so all these games I recorded these games and I watched them back. Generally, that time is about an hour and thirty, an hour and forty. That's how long it takes. That monster game was over two hours long, and it was because of stoppages by the team or four different stoppages by the, the by the referee team Yeah, and they're totally needless. And at the same time, so that's one issue because it ruins the game as a spectacle. And at the same time, you've a far probably more significant issue definitely more significant issue in the safety aspect of that and that a head high hit that you don't send off a player for a head high hit as Billy Holland said because you determine medium force which is nowhere in the rule book like it doesn't matter if you hit me in the head I don't care what force you do it's still a red card the Mm -hmm. fact that that wasn't addressed I think that's a way graver failing than a TMO referee you know communication issue I think you're right. Um, I want to talk, actually, I think the, the I don't want to talk too much about referees because actually I want to yeah. talk about Munster's um, performance against uh, Treviso. I want to talk about Leinster's uh, losing again. And we will talk about that later in the show and we're ta- in the context of the semi-finals and we'll get to them, we'll get to them in a few minutes. But just lastly on the referee, I, I, the referee situation, and you're mentioning TMOs there and it's funny, it's almost the opposite issue with the TMO not getting involved in Cardiff. And I think it is worthy of a discussion another week maybe about you know, the new guidelines for TMOs and how they probably were having too much of an influence on the game. And I'm thinking Initially, about Ireland, yeah. Ireland in Australia, you know, where it was like, Jesus Christ, you can't, you can't, a, a kick to the corner isn't safe because they, they're going to ask the TMO whether everything was okay. And it was just getting a little bit too much and they, something did need to be happened. But the biggest problem I think they had with what they've come out with, with the new rules is that it doesn't, it doesn't have enough clarity and without that clarity, then it doesn't have enough mechanic mechanisms to stop a wrong decision. You know, so like if a referee has to ask a certain question for a TMO to be allowed, give his response. And but the TMO is hamstrung by what they can say, even though they have clear evidence that something yeah. is a try or not because a try question, or, a f- yeah. or a foul play or not foul play. Then I think there's a serious issue with it. So I think they should just go to it in, rare, in more rare occasions, but have them open to everything that once you're at the TMO the TMO can decide everything but look it's probably a discussion for another day and with somebody who knows a little bit more than than, than I do about why those laws were done but speaking of laws the RFU um, you know not 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 a crowd that we're, we've been praising too much on, on the show over the course of the, the year or so we've been doing this but have come up with an interesting enough scheme to um, to kind of encourage participation in youth rugby that you particularly like yeah I think it's brilliant so this is a report in the Telegraph that's all underage rugby so you're talking about you know thousands and thousands of players from the age of 18 up from 18 down to six they're implementing a half time rule so what that means is that anybody who's in a match day squad for any of these children 
have to get at least a half. So if the game comes to half time, you bring on your, whoever's on your, what do they call them now, finishers? These mm. finishers, they don't get a... Replacements, I'll still go with, you know? A, a halfers, I guess, now, because they're going to play half the game. But everybody, the point is that everybody plays. If you turn up, everybody's seeing plays. Yeah. It's adopted from a pilot scheme that was run in Wales, and they ran it because New Zealand have actually implemented it there, which, I mean, again, like, and one of the, obviously this is such a massively important thing in terms of increasing, you know, your playing just p- playing pool and getting everyone involved and all over the game which is obviously really important but at the same time there's a duality in this that i think it's so funny that this originated in new zealand because this has massive massive repercussions for the sport as a whole like you look at we we've done kind of extensive work on our site looking at west cork and what west cork did by what the munster rugby department did when they went in to carry west cork waterford to expo- try and bring through players who We've never played rugby before. Yeah, outside and, of the traditional strongholds. Yeah. And their their policy, their first thing they did, the only thing that they prioritized was get everybody playing. So that if that means tag rugby, if that means seven aside rugby, if that means in your schools you're playing at halftime, it's just to get people playing. Because naturally, that fosters kind of a, a culture that will eventually lead to people playing more regularly. But the most important thing is that these players, because they were kind of not exposed to the game they need time to develop and the only way you're going to get time to develop is by is by playing and i think the fact that like the, the something like this is literally win-win it gets mm. rid of this nonsensical kind of cynical attitude that certain people take towards underage rugby and it also has a huge benefit in terms of the sport and kind of developing a culture i i, I would love to see the irfu maybe move in a similar direction yeah. and try and implement similar because i think it there's no downside to doing something like this yeah i see okay i I see two. I have two questions. I suppose okay. I'm, I'm, and I'm purely playing devil's advocate. I agree with you. I, I see the, I see the benefits straight away, and it sounds good. Two quick questions, though. Does it? Uh, sorry, two quick questions after this question, which is: Does this apply to all levels, all competitions? It's uh, yeah, all under, all under eighteen. Uh, yeah, okay, all under. So say under, yeah. then a competition that's taken quite seriously in Ireland, the schools cup, the Leinster schools cup, for example. Right? Does that apply to this? In an IRFU scenario, yeah, I think you could foster it that anything from up to a, like a certain point where I, I actually think it should be built up to a like your academy entry level. So you're talking about sixteen to seventeen. Okay. I, but even like for example, the, people would go into absolute hysterics if they tried to implement this in a Leinster School Senior Cup. Yeah, maybe rightly. But what it would do for in terms of what that could do for Irish rugby, like you think about the players who didn't get a chance at schools or didn't get a chance at uh, academies. And end up going abroad and forging like incredible careers. No, I know what you're saying, but I think I I suppose my concern is coming from a different place. Then, if that's say okay, right, we're saying it probably won't be extended to like the Leinster Senior Cup. I don't think so. No, ju- yeah. say the Junior Cup or whatever. Then, right, still uh, yeah, a competition I think it would, that's taken yeah. seriously, right? Now, what I'm saying to you is that if you have to go out there and have. 23 players that are at least playing 40 minutes and then however many is left that's playing 80 you know so um in every game does that not like does that not play into the hands of a black rock a michaels a terrenor okay uh, yeah. who have more players and have be- better strength and depth and then a team coming you know from nowhere like a a Ross Gray or somewhere I don't I actually don't know the, the lower levels at the moment but you know think of like a non a more non-traditional um school in Leinster who might make a run every now and then and get to the quarterfinals or the semi-finals will they have a play will they be sacrificing you know they might have 16 top players in one year and that's a brilliant year for them that's a year where they can compete but are they ever likely to have 23? Yeah, it's, I mean, that's a really good question. And my, my counter argument would be that th- something like this is part of a whole wider 
structure which is trying to yeah. change a culture of this obsession uh, for like 15 16 year olds with winning, with winning. As opposed no to and, I, and i know that and I, that's why i want to be actually clear about that sorry to interrupt but it's not about necessarily that um you know these teams can't win therefore it's pointless i mean is that if 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 people outside of the traditional places aren't competitive and aren't getting those kind of games then they don't get the chance to develop in the way you're talking about because they don't go to latter stages they don't play against the bigger teams etc etc right i understand i understand yeah. yeah look so i can look i can see both sides of it i i that's just a concern that i have um you know if it was to come into to competitive to, to competitive rugby how would that work exactly to keep lower or kind of outside of the the mainstream places competitive you know but look i think it works both ways i definitely see the benefits of it the other thing i would ask is you know how does this cover injuries and whatnot like you're talking about an empty bench at half time and you know so it's like it, it like i completely see why i'm sure people can be brought on and, and things will be yeah. made for it but it does kind of feel like does that lead then to you know again competitiveness will always come into it we're trying to get away from the obsession with winning i completely understand that but competitive to competitiveness will all come into it and you're wondering shit does this mean that like this is going to lead to 15 16 year old lads being told to go down injured because the game is getting away from them and he's run out of legs and I, I made a mistake in who I brought off and, you know, cynical coaching and guys being really asked to kind of take part in this kind of like cheating basically at such a young age. It's just, uh, it opens it up for it, you know. Uh, definitely. And like, I think a lot of people will balk at that idea, but that, I mean, that is absolutely a reality that anything, no, and no matter what you try and do, there will be, like there are poor coaches everywhere. There's a lot of really good coaches, a lot of dedicated coaches, but there are cynical coaches. Like you saw one of the points, this was ran as a pilot scheme in Wales. And one of the things that they noticed was that certain underage coaches weren't declaring all their players in match day squads. Because if you're not in a match day squad, you don't have to get two halves, you, you know? So they're trying to, you know, work loopholes around this, work ways around that. And that's always going to happen because, but like those that, that kind of approach needs to be eradicated from the game as an entirety. So I, I think any sort of policy like this would actually expose them. We, they would be, you'd be painfully exposed as not being a coach who has the children's best interest at heart in terms of rugby development, which is what underage coaching should should all be about. I I, I think the the pluses, whatever, like maybe slight minuses. I think the pluses massively outweigh the minuses. It should be it's a policy that would be in the benefit of you know the many, not the few, and that's what you know ultimate sport should be about. Yeah. No, I'd agree with you. It does ultimately sound great. I just I would like to see those kind of couple of little things ironed out. Yeah. But we're going to get to Nathan Hines in a second and talk about the semi-finals this weekend, which is kind of like you know the 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 main reason everybody's here. I would imagine in in a week like this, there is it's a really massive weekend of rugby. But just before we get to it, um, kind of disappointing news I would say um, during the week that um, Damien McKenzie's done his knee. I think it was his knee, wasn't it? And yeah, he's, ACL. He's, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna go. He's gonna miss eight months. He's gonna miss the World Cup. Uh, you know, like Steve Hansen is saying, he's got another two or three of them. I think he's only turning twenty four this yeah. week. Um, you know, so he's he's not a he's not an old guy. We will see him again, but you know, people will remember Mackenzie as the kind of exciting fullback. Didn't really perform against Ireland actually in November, but he was someone that we were really worried for. Really exciting and good rugby player, and it's like great. New Zealand are down a player from an Irish point of view, from the rest of the world point of view. We don't want to see them win three in a row. That's great, but you kind of want these guys at the World Cup. You want to see everybody together, and you don't want big names like that missing out 
and like we're probably going to get a few more between now and October let's face it but you know it's always unfortunate yeah and even just from a from a spectacle perspective it's the guys like like Mackenzie or even Dan Levy like guys who do you know the stuff that gets you up out of your seat like those standout moments that they generate excitement in a way that not many other people are capable of doing and it's just a shame that we kind of we won't get to see that it's just Simon Zeba yeah for very (laughs) different reasons yeah (laughs) Um, we have, yeah so like when you know it's it, it's something that you kind of it's one of the most important things probably about the sport and it's just it's disappointing that you lose that element of a, of a spectacle when you miss out on players like that yeah so um, we won't see Damian McKenzie at the World Cup we will see quite a lot of the players that we'll see this weekend though at the World Cup because uh, it is Champions Cup uh, Heineken Champions Cup semi-final weekend uh, Munster in uh, England for the borderline impossible task um, against Saracens. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. But Leinster, home to Toulouse in uh, Aviva Stadium, they took care of uh, the Scarlets pretty easily um, last year. But they also ha- have had some classic semi-finals over the years. Uh, Scotland international Nathan Hines has ta- has taken part in them both for and against Leinster over the years. And Morris uh, caught up with him earlier on. You've been exposed to kind of a really similar train of coach kind of throughout your career obviously you know with Joe and then subsequently now you work with Vernon Scotland like is there anything you can pick from that that might infiltrate your own coaching philosophy or is that separate to you know these interactions outside of that I think um, the thing that we think from from Joe is really detailed and uh, he really expects a lot from his players Vern is, is expects a lot from his players as well but he works in a little bit different way with everyone, every coach that I've had, I think it's expect to do your job and know what you what you need to do because you, know, you can't um, you can't go being a passenger and rely on other people to do things that you need to do yourself. So prepare you prepare yourself the best way you can. Be be professional. Sure. And even you know on that team in in the aftermath of the Six Nations, there's certainly been a lot of talk in Ireland about kind of the difference between the maybe the French rugby culture and obviously the Irish culture or outside of that. And you're somebody who's who's actually experienced both and even played in both. I'm just wondering, from your yeah. own perspective, what kind of comparisons or contrasts you saw there? Just what they see the game is a lot different. Um, the way they get coached is different when they when they're younger. Um, the 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 way they approach Nutrition and uh, weight strength training has been is different. You know, they're they've been um, been, been taught taught differently. The way they um, even culturally, the way they see uh, not criticism, but the way they can see uh, ways to improve. Sometimes they'll, they'll see it as a as a negative rather than a positive. So okay, um, and then there's always the the home and away uh, issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Which is, I think, it's slowly in the, in the French game, slowly getting, um, you know, eroded away. And most teams, are, most of the top teams, are going away and winning, and um, more than, than when they have been. But uh, um, just, they look, just, they look at rugby differently. And is and is that a is that a positive or, or a negative from your own perspective? It's different. It's different. <laughs> um, yeah, um, it's still the old adage with. Uh, with a scrum set piece here and um, uh, ball in play kind of time. So, whereas in in Scotland and Ireland, the you know yeah set piece is going to be strong, but how are we going to play? How are you want to? Is the opportunity to, to play, or is there just, just follow follow the rules, or do you play as you see? So, 
Uh, whereas I think in French, in, in old, old French rugby, get kid, the kids being taught from quite small, just say, this, you do this, you just do this, and this, and you do this, rather than, than play. So it sometimes uh, counts against them when they get a bit older. Okay, yeah. Uh, just before you go, I suppose, to catch up on where you're at now. Um, yeah. Th- this is, this, I presume this is all you kind of developing the experience for your own coaching CV. I mean, this is all embedding a philosophy maybe or you're slowly trying to build it up just by your own sake yeah I mean I'm, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a young experienced coach and I'm trying to learn as much from Vern and everyone else as I can and um, yeah all I want to do is just get better and, and, and learn as much as I can you know while I was uh, under VC and um, obviously got Alex King and Ian Vass here as well and you try and learn as much as you can from as many people as you can because um, you just don't know when opportunities can come up or where they are and you want to be able to you know have as many strings to, to your bow as you, as you can so um, and it's good to, good to even talking to other coaches from other clubs that are in France and beyond it's just a good way to um to learn. So, and would you be in contact with many other, I suppose, former players who are now going into coaches? Is that is that kind of part of your your brooch, I suppose? Uh, yeah, I talk to I talk to Leo every now and then. Um, talk to John Gibbs, who who's a coach at Lower Shell and Perry Freshwater at Perpignan, yeah. and um, just talk to John Humphreys and and um, uh, Jason O'Halloran, who are at, uh, at Glasgow. And, uh, Duncan Hodge at Edinburgh so you know you get to still have chats with boys and see how they're going and share your frustrations with each other <laughs> <laughs> so looking ahead to the weekend then will you watch that game as a as a former player or is it hard to switch off you being a coach you know the coaches and you're probably watching uh, certain plays both. and stuff that you might be able to adapt no, no both I'll watch as a player and I'll, I'll watch not my team so I can sort of watch it uh, enjoy the game, okay. really. Um, yeah, um, hoping that the boys win, but yeah, it'll be a good game to watch. So, so finally, uh, a prediction. Maybe not necessarily a scoreline, but which way do you see it going? Uh, I actually, we've got a, a bit of a competition at work. We've picked uh, the winner. The scores for this weekend, okay, and yeah. I pick Leinster by I pick Leinster by six. So great stuff there from uh, the the Aussie Scotsman who played for Leinster yep. and Claremont <laughs> Nathan Hines, the well-travelled Nathan Hines. Good, yeah, good to hear him predicting a, a win for Leinster. Anyway, that that whole interview will obviously be up on site. People can read that um, during the week. We've also got um, Jamie Goodmore, former Claremont's second row, probably one of the. What would you call him? One of the lightning rods for Irish rugby fans over the years. Yeah, has written definitely. A, yeah, Canadian. <laughs> yeah, he's written a brilliant column for us that'll be up during the, this week as well. Two guys who actually played together at Claremont were second row partners. Yeah, uh, Jamie goes into that, goes into maybe the insight that Nathan could give him and what that meant. I one thing that I found really interesting in terms of going back to what Nathan spoke with there briefly is just the extent of the difference in the culture between France and Ireland. It's been a theme on this podcast probably since the very first week, really, when we kind of looked at we always ask the question what is going wrong in French rugby but it's it's nearly like a different sport like they're totally they're coached entirely different yeah. you, Nathan went into the idea of even feedback I mean t- talking back to the players you're you're kind of wary that they will take up criticism a lot different that's all cultural issues that 
A, it'll really stand to people like him to have that on your coaching CV and to expose yourself to that. But B, leads to massive differences in the kind of production, the players you produce. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I said, you'll be able to catch that. You'll be able to catch Jamie Cudmore. And also, we'll have a piece up um, later in the week, I think on Thursday, um, from PJ Brown, who's done extensive work. It's a, a long read. You want to be making sure your coffee break yeah, is for this long, one, yeah. where he's uh, looked back at the Munster Wasps semi-final from 2004, I believe, a, a match which uh, Munster, unfortunately, lost in Lansdowne Road, the old Lansdowne Road, to Lawrence Delalio and Wasps. We were all sickened at the time, but... Um, uh, basically, a piece um, with a lot of a lot of interviews in there about how that game changed Munster and basically led them to what would ultimately become their two Heineken Cup uh, victories in two thousand and six and two thousand and eight. Really, really fascinating read that you should make time for this week. It'll be out on Thursday, I think, on Balls.ie. Now, going back to. Um, Nathan Hines there going back to Leinster semi-final to lose they've already played them twice this year to lose or rejuvenated these two have played each other in semi-finals twice before one of Leinster's most famous ever games was a quarter-final against Toulouse I can't wait for it I'm really looking forward to it I think Toulouse are going to give Leinster a real game and they'd want to be on their form and the reason I'm going to all Leinster would want to be on form to beat them and the reason I'm getting to all this is because Leinster aren't on form and I know it's not going to be the same players but Leinster have been walking away I've been laughing about their points difference and how big a lead they've had in the Pro 14 for months you know it comes up every now and then that they're like you know plus 250 points or whatever and they just haven't been doing it so in between these games where you know they got through the quarterfinal you know, and then just have been kind of like faltering through and conceding points and just not getting it together. And I know it's not going to be the same 15 that goes out there against Toulouse on, on Sunday, but have you any concerns with, you know, their performances in the Pro 14 since that since that quarterfinal? I think they were probably in a really bad place in terms of the Pro 14 in just surely the fact that, you know, it was tired. They secured the semi-final so early yeah, that these games are ju- just, just tune-ups. There's no... There's nothing really on the line here, and they kind of you, you've got you always know you've got bigger fish to fly. You're always probably always regardless of what players will tell you, it's probably always kind of looking ahead. I mean, I, I like it's two very different approaches. I watched Toulouse play at the weekend in a game that nearly totaled 100 points. It had everything like free length tries, Kobali slipping on the floor, picking himself up, and making a line break past eight players and scoring a try. Um, Joe Teriyaki, the hooker from Toulouse, looks like he's going to be out sighted for. But was it like speaking of high tackles that weren't punished? I don't know how Roman Pot didn't send him off for that. But yeah. it looks like the site commissioner is going to identify that anyway. That's that's a loss. They took the approach of starting, as I'm hinting at here, their strongest team yeah. and going full guns into that. Despite the fact they're top of the top top fourteen anyway, they'll probably secure the semi final there. Whereas Leinster obviously took the opposite approach. Yeah, you can have concerns about it only then you think about last year and Connacht kind of humiliating Leinster in Galway and John yeah. Muldoon kicking conversions and they put over 40 <laughs> points they put over 40 points on them and Leinster turned around and won a double-double after that or uh, two finals after that so I, I, I'm not, not necessarily they're going sure. for a double-double this year yeah. yeah like okay right but just the, the counterpoint to that or is it like you know the Six Nations we said Johnny Sexton hasn't played enough rugby he, you know, and he's barely played since, you know, I don't think, has he played since? No, I don't think so, he's played since the, Six Nations. We, it was, he's back training, Leo Cullen said in his press conference today, he's back training, but he's, not, like, how matched our team must be, is yeah. pretty incredible, so that that's it. But that's Sexton specific, but even taking that to a wider level, it's like, Leinster have been wrapped up in cotton wool for a long time now. They played that quarterfinal, they didn't play well. You've got Irish players who are coming off a poor Six Nations where a lot of them didn't play well, a lot of them aren't at their best. They've had no chance to refine that form. And now suddenly they're going into a Champions Cup semi-final against Toulouse, one of the on-form teams in Europe, where you could just be like... 
you know, if Toulouse hit the ground running, you said they scored how many points did they score at the 40, weekend? Forty seven. You know, yeah. they score for you know, if they hit the ground running and like like what happened in Toulouse earlier this year where it was just suddenly Leinster were just kinda of caught in the hop, you know, that two, three tries goes in, suddenly you're facing a mountain and you're not ready for this because you're not battle hardened, you're not up to speed, you've played no rugby. Yeah, you know, and that that would be a huge worry for me. If I had to say, I think Leinster would win the game. I think this is an experienced group of guys that probably do know how to turn it on. But I'm just saying that if you're caught early, it's very hard to come back from. If you're not week in, week out, if you haven't gone through 80 hard minutes the, the week before or even two weeks before. And I, get, I think that has to weigh in your mind. There's also, I mean, one of Leinster's biggest problems is the fact that they're in key, key positions, like your 9, 10, 15, 7, they have no continuity of selection, so like the cohesion that that breeds, and as you spoke with there, like knowing that you've got you kind of have something in your bank that you're in the middle of a fire and you know you're to pull it out. That like that's not necessarily there as much anymore, and that's like whether you like it or not, that's going to be a concern going into the weekend. I yeah. still think that they'll have enough game management is going to be massive in this game. Like Toulouse are so skill based, you know, it, it's not really systems. They kind of it's all kind of based off skills and things like that. That to that extent that. Like Lancer probably need to beat them up up front. Like they kind of need yeah. to choke them down and like kind of yeah. growl it out a, a way that they might necessarily have been used to lately. But they just need to like dominate up front and then yeah. and choke them a little bit of like you know deny them the oxygen that lets them kind of have those that freedom to do that. Yeah, runs and, yeah, yeah from, from from deep. So yeah, look, I think we both think Lancer will win, but I'm just I'm just putting a health warning on on my <laughs> prediction <laughs> because I just have this I have just a slight worry about it. The other game. Munster couldn't be coming in in any better form, really. Yeah. You know, going, you know, they they still did have work to do in the Pro 14, unlike Leinster, you know, but going to, to Treviso and winning, which, you know, it's funny, if you had asked me 12 months ago if we should be talking about Munster winning in Treviso um, as a as a big build-up to their Heineken Cup semi-final, you'd laugh at me, but things have changed so much there, and that's a great story in itself, but a really, really good performance, and a, like a really kind of battling performance from Munster at the weekend and you know they're kind of doing all they can to to, to sort of step up their form before they go to, to yeah, Coventry I've been really impressed with Munster over their last kind of two games actually they, yeah. even the Cardiff game I thought they were really sure. impressive there's a lot of kind of there's a lot more thinking going into this Munster team in recent weeks than we saw originally which was your massive criticism always yeah and and it it just goes to show that they really do have the capability to do it like you get these and none of it is that complicated like it's stuff as in you know if you put a a big player in like you set up you do a one three three one setup and you put a big player running the screen before that so you've got a guy like Blendell or Hanrahan pulling out the back door that's a play they've used a lot now so it's it's one guy running a hard line up to occupy a, a bunch of defenders and somebody else taking a break outside of him but the whole point is that it's a plan to orchestrate a break. You know, it's it's not just crash around the corner or these pick and goes that they seem to kind of fall back on when things weren't necessarily going to according to plan. Uh, even just like this is a really really stupid side point, but it's just something that I found really interesting. This is up on Bozzy already. The fact that they identified that the Cardiff back row are so slow off scrums and that they <laughs> made a call around that and used it again and again and again to a remarkable success in that the game. The call was. The call was Oompa Loompa. So I watched, I, I was watching this game and I heard it shouted twice. And I was like, what is going on here? Like, something else is coming into this ref mic or there's a problem here. <laughs> <laughs> so then I watched it again and I realized that it was Peter O'Mahony shouted at one stage and I realized he was shouting it to somebody else. So all it was, was once they called Oompa Loompa, 
the number eight would pick and go off the back. He'd yeah. come up the open side, the Cardiff open sides channel because he was never ever, he, they, Cardiff were so occupied with it, you know, all eight men packing down and pushing through that he was never getting up quickly the way you should be. Like a, a, an open side at a scrum should be like a, a sprinter in the blocks. You know, you should yeah. be ready to pump up there. And the, at the very end of the game, it's CJ Standard who came on. Initially, it was Arna Botha who was calling up a lumpa, And then CJ Standard did it. The same call, the exact same thing. And they end up scoring a try off it. Yeah. But th- they, that is clearly something they'd identified because their back rows weren't coming up quickly enough. And that's like that level of, I think that level of thinking is really starting to pay off right now. There's a lot of talk about Munster's coaching setup and what is the future for Felix Jones or Jerry Fannery this week. The, these two games, I think, are huge in terms of determining whether or not that all that work has paid off and whether mm. you're going to see an expansion of that. And I, I give Munster a lot more of a chance this weekend than a lot of other people do, to be honest. Okay. Why, now, just before I do, I'll set that up with, like, you know, usually playing an English or French team at this time of year has a massive advantage for an Irish team in that they're coming off a, a tough premiership or top 14 game. Saracens are so good at the yeah, moment. They just rested their whole players. Yeah. They did a pro 14 on it at the weekend, you know, and they were able to do it. Both teams targeting this basically for three, four weeks, possibly even more. But Munster probably going through the ringer more in the league than, than Saracens have been. You know, this is a team, possibly the best team in Europe that are waiting for them that have home country advantage at least a, a, a stadium they've played in many times um what is it that you see that Munster can make them where, where are the vulnerabilities from Saracens so, so I've watched Munster I've watched Saracens a lot lately kind of in preparation for this game and I think that if you wanted a team who are well matched to expose Saracens it would be Munster so just something really simple like Munster are brilliant in the lineup they're like they're really they they took three off Cardiff. They took another two off Teresa at the weekend. And the lineup is a massive, massive platform for so much of what Saracens do because they've got so many phenomenal jumpers. Yeah. Like any team at Mario Toje jumping in it are going to have used the lineup for nearly everything. And they launched so much off of that. But Monster's ability kind of, like, that's, you know, you, you know this old thing about, you know, you hunt the wolf pack. Like, these are the guys, hunt the hunted, whatever you want to say, or hammer the hammers, as Tomas O'Shea would say in Gaelic football. That, like, Monster are really well placed to do that. They've got a guy like, Byrne or O'Mahony who can really identify those kind of players and get in around them I've seen evidence of that actually going back to the Cardiff game Munster knew some of those line-out calls from Cardiff they 100% knew them yeah. like O'Mahony was charting it the way I could so and that again that comes back to homework like you watch Cardiff play Scarlets and you see a number eight come in and stand at scrum half and off that very line-out they throw to number two who jumps up and they try and maul the ball Munster know that's coming the first time Scarlets get a line-out if you've watched the game previously so the very first ball, Peter Mahoney kicks it up and under, but he puts it straight into touch after receiving the kickoff. And Munster know what Scarlett are going to do because they've done their homework. So off the very first throw, Munster put Peter Mahoney up at two and he intercepts the ball and they get it back. That kind of stuff, like that, that's an attention to detail that will really stand to good stead when you look at a team like Saracens. Because from a Leinster perspective, right, Leinster, the worst possible thing you could be, I think, as trying to plan for a game is not knowing what's coming down the tracks. If you mm. don't, and that's what... To lose because they're so skill set based and not system based, you don't really know what they're going to do. Saracens, you can you can plan for that. Like you can, it, yeah. It's another thing to counter that, but at least it's it's not predictable. But you know, it's yeah, you can read it. Yeah, they have they have a system and they do stick to it. Yeah, like is there are Saracens as good as they were two years ago? 
Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways they are. It depends. It looks Brad Barrett who got injured in the quarterfinal could yeah. be out. That is massive. Like that, dude. You can't stress. Yeah. That. He as a thirteen is the same way that like O'Driscoll was to Leinster's thirteen. Like he sets so much of it. Ring resistance right now. The in terms of his defensive impact, particularly, but he does so much of the work around there. They've been exposed a lot in the right wing. I just watched it back, so they didn't concede any tries in two of the last five games, but in the other three. Not every single game they can see the try coming down that wing because they're too narrow in the centre and get exposed out wide. But the only issue with that is that given Munster what we saw in recent European Cup games, not in the Pro 14, they have to demonstrate some sort of a bit or desire to go wide. Like they have to try yeah. and get errors on the ball more than they did against Edinburgh. That just it just has to happen because A, because he's one of the he's a game winner. Yeah. But B because there's In the form of his life as well. Yeah. But there's also there's opportunities there. It's not you're not doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah. You're doing it because you can actually expose something. Are Munster better than they were two years ago? Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. I, I, they've got, especially in their pack, you, and like defensively they've come on so, so much. You've got yeah. to, like, all the stock we talk about, you know, trying to hammer the hammer and how you're going to counter Saracens. Saracens are doing the exact same thing about putting in all this time to, what are we going to do about Ty Byrne? Like, what are we going to do about Peter Matney? They're going to occupy so much, so much attention. And I mean, to a certain extent, that makes Munster predictable too, for, for sure it does. But, that wouldn't have been the case a couple of years ago. You wouldn't have had these kind of elite high-level players who will occupy so much attention and will still probably perform despite that. Okay. It'll be interesting to see on that team, by the way, interesting to see what Munster do at open side at seven. They've got, like, it's a huge choice to, have to make there between Clute or Jack O'Donoghue. Given that what I just said there, I think you have to go with Jack O'Donoghue because he's more present in the actual breakdown. Like Clute is a kind of a loose player. He's a, he's yeah. a, he's a cannon. He's going to have a massive impact there. Him coming off the bench after an hour, I think, would be huge. I think uh, that kind of rough and tumble stuff and basing it off, you know, huge defense. I think Jack O'Donoghue is probably more le- leads himself more to that. So, but that, again, that's just going to be another interesting angle to see. And all this, how they, who they pick a seven or what they do, with, you know, in the center, that all that is going to lead you to you give some sort of suggestion about how Munster are going to try and set up this weekend okay well look as someone that's scarred that went with about eight members of his family to the Aviva Stadium two years ago for the semi-final and I just never want to watch the Saracens game ever again after what they they just like just systematically hammered Munster that day it was really hard to watch and like poor old Tyler Blindell I'm not sure if he's ever recovered from it but but Think about the redemption story that could be there for Tyler Blender. And that's what I'm saying. You've just done a job now of selling this to me for the first time all week. I've been almost trying to think about the Leinster match, <laughs> almost avoiding Munster, you know. But um, I'm in it now, right? I, I still. Are you calling Munster or are you just saying there's a chance? Uh, uh, well, I call Munster. Why oh! Everybody else seems to be saying Saracens. A Munster-Leinster-Heineken go final is like, what uh, Morris is going for here, I, yeah. I, I think I, I think Munster... I wouldn't underestimate Munster coming into this weekend. Yeah. Um, even just, this is, again, it's like, you can't read a huge amount into it, but just Peter Mahoney's body language in the press conference today, like how he spoke, like the, this is a game they're hugely, hugely geared up for. And given that they've invested so much into it and also kind of what's riding on it, I think that, you know, this is time to, to deliver. And it's kind of, you know, we spoke about this when we talked about the Connaughts game against, you know, make or break games. This could be a make or break game as well in terms of like, this could be a, seasoned like all of a sudden you win this game and your whole season your coaching setup everything changes and that, yeah. uh, I think that's a that's an opportunity that should really excite people okay well look we've gone on long enough Morris is going to be there um, on he's going to be in the Rico Arena on Saturday he's going to be in the Aviva Stadium on Sunday you can follow along um, his work across our social media channel channels and on balls.ie where he'll be doing uh, reporting on the games i really really can't wait for it 
as we mentioned earlier lots of really really good stuff coming up on balls.ie um, ahead of the semi-finals we've got that look back on Munster and Watts in 2004 we've got um, the, the more of the Nathan Hines interview that we've talked uh, that we heard a little bit of there a few minutes ago and we've got the, the, the Jamie Cubmore um, column about what it is like coming up against Leinster in a uh, the, the juggernaut of Leinster in a Heineken Cup semi-final and maybe Munster can look at that too and just replace uh, Leinster with Saracens <laughs> and think of it that way you know but um, as I said keep an eye out for all of that stuff if you like this show and you're listening to it on um, on site or whatever make sure you subscribe to the actual podcast you can get it on all the podcast apps on iTunes on Stitcher on Spotify etc 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 um also you'll find there the three man weaver ga show which we also um record today me and morris putting in a little bit of double time um along with mark farrelly and um if you enjoy either show please give us a rating leave a little bit of a comment it helps us out massively and make sure that we can keep doing this show that we enjoy bringing to you every week enjoy the heineken cup semi-finals and hopefully we might have a Munster Lancer final, what do you reckon? Yeah, please hope, yeah. Thanks, Mars. Mm-hmm.